Welcome to Ideas with Lex, a podcast to help you become that go-to person who can think on their feet or even invent that side hustle project that brings in cash and kudos. G'day guys, it's Nils Vesk here and in this episode I am super excited because I reckon we're going to learn how to reinvent like a world-class behavioralist. And to help us out, we have the amazing Ali Hill from Pragmatic Thinking. Welcome, Ali. Oh, thank you, Niels. It's such a delight to, to be hanging out with you. Great, great. Now, some of you are thinking, so who is this woman, Ali Hill? Ali is the CEO of an awesome organisation by the name of Pragmatic Thinking. And when I think of them, I think of them as a behavioural change organisation. They work with Fortune 500 com uh, companies around the world, helping them whenever they've got some sort of change that's required, whether it's in you know, changing uh, uh, how they work on a project or anything that you can think of, that's where their whole kind of thinking comes from. And they've worked with all kinds of organisations, not just sort of your corporates, but into mining, um, in the government and all types of things. So. That's enough from me, but maybe, Ali, do you reckon you could give us a little bit more of a synopsis or a bit of a breakdown as to, you know, what is pragmatic thinking and how do you guys go about doing what you do? Absolutely. Thanks, Niels. And look, you covered off a fair bit of it, actually. Um, and look, a big part of what we do, so we, we the tagline is a behaviour and motivation strategy company. So most organisations will have their, their business strategy, but that business strategy lives or dies the moment it hits people. How do you understand people? How do you bring people along for the journey? And how do you actually get them motivated by the work that you have in front of them? Um, so a big part of our work is really probably in two categories. One of them is working with leaders and increasing leadership capability, particularly during times of uncertain uncertainty uh, and going through change. Now, it's interesting. We're talking right here in the middle of 2020. But the truth is change has been a big part of our, our world and our workplace world for a number of years. The sheer velocity of change, the, the importance of leaders needing to actually bring their teams along for the journey, um, getting them motivated, having the skills to be able to have the tough conversations along the way. Uh, so that's a really big focus. And then the other area, which you mentioned before as well, is looking at cultural change. So what kind of company or business or culture do we want to become? And what's the pathway for us to get from where we are now to where we want to be? Mm, yeah, I really like that. I mean, and you're so on the money there. There's not just the change that you want to create, as in going from point A to B, but also how do we change ourselves, which is kind of curious. Um, and I know you mentioned, you know, it might involve having a tough conversation, which also reminds me of one of the best-selling books that you um, and Darren Hill, your husband and also business partner and Dr. Sean Richardson had written. That's been, what was the other book that you guys have sort of, or, or yourself have put out recently? So the other one's called Stand Out, which is uh, a real world guide to become uh, to find purpose and to become the boss of busy. So it's really about how to manage and deal with the overwhelm of everything we have on our plate uh, and reconnect with the things that are important to us. So yeah, that's the other book. But as you saying, you mentioned dealing with the tough stuff. It actually came out in 2012, so eight years ago, which is wow. crazy. Uh, but it's one of those evergreen, ever-present things 
both for leaders and people in business, it, we, it is inevitable. At some point in time, you will have to have a tough conversation. And how do you get results out of those conversations? How do you ensure that they're not defensive or, you know, someone is kind of resistant to that, but actually you get heard and more importantly, that something changes at the other end. It's one thing to have the conversation, but the intention of it is what's going to change as a, as a result of having had that conversation. So, yeah, that book's come out in um, uh, a second edition about four years ago. And we're currently looking again with the current environment of workplaces, a lot of it now happening virtually and leaders needing to have performance mm. review conversations now virtually, which is quite a different methodology from doing mm. it face. Yes, uh, yeah, we're looking at upgrading that book to incorporate some of the skills of how you can get results when you are not co-located, when you're located in different areas. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's so important right now. I want to, I want to go with that word that you used, evergreen. Um, just as you said, talking with the t talking about the tough stuff is almost an evergreen kind of concept. One of the things that I truly believe is an evergreen thing, which relates to the concept of change, is reinvention. I'm curious, what does the word reinvention mean to you? That's a great question. It's a really big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I love your take on it. I love how you're kind of going down almost this rabbit warren of, you know, what does it mean individually for, and for, and I know a lot of your work around larger organisations around innovation and, and reinvention. I guess if I, the first thing that comes, it's almost not that it comes to mind, but it's almost an emotion when you say it, I get quite excited by it. I, I almost have that kind of creativity or the rebel in me or this curiosity uh, itch in me that wants to go, oh, what if something could be different? Because it doesn't have to be the way it is now. Um, and then my head kind of goes, the other, the other word that comes to mind is around evolution. And so reinvention is about not necessarily cutting off what happened before, uh, either who we were before as mm. a, you know, individual identity, but it's actually what's the evolution who we've been has informed where we are right now and reinvention is not about going oh well that didn't work so we have to cut that off or forget about it we never talk about what happened in you know 2018 mm. but actually that that informed what the evolution or the reinvention is and so now we get to see this possibility of okay what's new but do it with intention and do mm. it in a sense of uh, purpose and learning that the past comes with us as well. Um, mm, mm. Present of where we are right now, and then that reinvention is this possibility and hope of of the future of of something new. And that new might be hard. It might be might be not. When we get there, we might go, "Oh, this isn't exactly what we what we thought it was." But then you get the chance to reinvent again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that is such a, a great segue to something that I know you guys do amazingly well. And I think you sort of do it sometimes at the start of the calendar year where you create or you have a review process, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how was 2019 or 2018. And um, so what, what kind of technique would you recommend that people use or how you might go about um, reviewing your performance over the previous months or the previous year? Yeah, look, 
Um, thanks, Niels. And, and what you're referring to there is, so each year I put out a standout planner. It's a free downloadable tool that people can uh, access and it's grown. Like I think the first year I put it out might've been five years ago and it was 20 pages long. I think it's now about 40 to 50 pages long. <laughs> um, and it's just filled with these kind of curious questions that allow people the, the opportunity to sit in those questions. Um, and I actually think the biggest benefit of that document is not so much the document itself, but the permission that the document allows for people to pause and mm. to reflect. So I think that's, that's one part of it. Um, as I alluded to before, I, I mean, one of the frameworks I, I absolutely come back to around a sense of identity. And I think reinvention is connected to that word identity, um, who I am and who, who I want to become or who we want to become or who this business or this product, whatever it is, if you're talking about reinvention. Uh, and from a psychological point of view, we often talk about identities, the combination or the stories that we tell about our past, about our present and about our future. And so in that process, part of the process, I think that is really useful in that, that personal reflection is to think about what has been. Um, and so I love the start of a new year that there is this sense of it being a bit of a clean slate and and you do get the possibility and the opportunity to, to be intentional and, and almost to kind of reinvent the, new, the year anew. Um, but I mm. think it's always important to take the time and look at what the year was beforehand. So, so mm. that's, I mean, time helps us that, with that at the end of the year, but you can do that at any time. You can do that at the end of each week. You can do that mm. at the end of each day is just to go back and go, what lessons did I learn? Uh, what were the things and the moments I was really grateful for? Uh, what were the things that were really hard, but there was a strength that I didn't realise I had that came out because of that experience? And then this, um, without sounding naff, but this opportunity to almost kind of be grateful for, and even if, and there's plenty of people that get to the end of the year and we'll hear it in 2020 is people will go, that was such a shit year. Let's just put a ribbon on it and never speak of it again. <laughs> I, I almost think that's a bit of a waste because I think that there is an opportunity to, even in amongst the uncertainty and the things that we go, man, I wish that hadn't happened. What did we learn about ourselves? Who were the people that gathered around? Who were the people that there that put a smile on our face? Mm -hmm. uh, who were the people that were there that challenged us? Um, what boundaries do I need to, and what do I want to really purposefully bring into the next thing, whether that's a year or the next day or the next week or the next project or the next, you know, connection uh, or team experience that I might have. So I think having that framework of past and we don't often just pause and reflect on the, what has been um, and then the opportunity to go, well, where, where am I right now? And then where do I want to be, which is that kind of re, uh, reinvention, but what's possible here? What's mm. kind of look like? Um, from a both individual and a team point of view, one of the other really practical tools that I have used um, and happy to share this with your listeners 
is to get a piece of paper and it can be a big, large, you know, butcher's paper or even a big whiteboard and draw a horizontal line across the middle of the board. And that can represent your timeline, whatever that timeline is. Usually I say to a group, it'll be the last 12 months. So if we're in July 2020 now, then thinking about July 2019 last year. And uh, as a group, you know, start to think about what were some of the things that happened across the last 12 months and put them either above the line or below the line. So mm. events that we might say were, were maybe really good or events that we celebrated. And some of those might have different strengths. So if it was something that was amazing or a project that we just absolutely nailed, then you might put that higher up on the page or higher up on the whiteboard. Um, or if it was something that was kind of okay, you might put that just above the line. So it'll almost be kind of amplified. And then same for the events that might have happened below the line. Um, you know, is it something that was catastrophic that might be quite low on the page mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to something that, you know, just wasn't that great. It might be just below the line that you drew. And so what that does is give an opportunity just to start to mark out the events over the last 12 months, um, but also gives you this really tangible uh, thing that's outside of you to look at it quite objectively and look at the year and go, oh, that thing that I have categorised the entire year was awful because of that. When I look at it, it's only one dot in a yeah. dot. Yeah. <laughs> actually, because of that one dot, I learnt this, this and this, or I met this person and I got an opportunity to do that. And actually that was really great. Mm, um, mm. That's wow, that, been a really powerful activity. Yeah, that's, wow. I feel like you're, you're reading my book that is just being edited at the moment, which is, um, yeah, I, I use a very, very similar technique. And we call it, I guess, you know, it's kind of like a, a graphic way of communicating. And, you know, one of the things what I love about you explaining there about using with teams is that it's not about the individual, it's about the work and the work is on the, on the, you know, on the piece of paper. So it's, it's much easier to have a conversation around it. And as you said, you can then also look at what are those individual influences, um, you know, were things, you know, beyond our control when that bad thing might have happened or were there things that we could have controlled? So it enables you to look at things so much more objectively, which I think is really good. I just want to go back just a touch uh, because I think when you were talking about this, this whole concept of story is so important, both in people being able to believe that they have the skill and capability to reinvent themselves or their business, because that's a, it's a, you know, it's a truth that people can do that. Um, and when I, when I was hearing, you know, your talk, I guess we could probably say that part of your theory that you're talking about is based around self-efficacy theory. And for those who aren't familiar with self-efficacy theory, there's kind of like five core components, but one of them is around, um, looking for evidence um, that we are sort of mastering change or that we all have the ability to, to learn something. Um, what, what do you think people could be doing better around the, the concept of modeling? So in self-efficacy theory, people will say, if Ali can do it and she has just the same skills as I do, then I can do it well. Um, do, do you think that's something that, that, you know, that you guys use or encourage, or is it something that's just, you don't necessarily call it that, but um, you, you explore around the edges around that type of area. Yeah, look, I, um, absolutely. I think there's this opportunity to, um, 
I guess what comes to mind is that that curiosity. I know it's a big part of your DNA, Niels, is 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 being able to look at maybe what others are doing um, or what their journey has been like and then go, oh, what can I learn about myself from that? That can be really quite supportive and uh, empowering. And so this curiosity, this sense of um, almost kind of seeing it, I, I often use this analogy like it's like being a scientist. It's like, you know, and, and this is the experiment and I'm not sure if it's going to work, but let's kind of test the conditions of the experiment. You know, I have this hypothesis. And so let me learn, like, what did you, what are you doing and, um, and what's working and what's not working? The truth, whatever we're facing, uh, whatever, whether it's a problem or an opportunity that we want to explore, it's highly likely in the history of human beings that someone somewhere else has faced the same question or issue, even if it's mm. slightly kind of different. It's, uh, it's highly possible that someone else has, has pondered the same thing or wondered or actually, you know, been three or four steps ahead of where we're at. And so I think it's actually really smart to, to reach out and learn and have those community of people that you are asking questions of and, um, yeah, kind of, you know, informing more about what, what your next step is. Mm, mm. Yeah, I love that point. Um, I, I've heard people sometimes say, you know, there's there's always going to be someone who's been less skilled, mm. less less smart, if you want to use that word. Although I don't really like that word, but um, you know, less skilled and less driven who've managed to work it out, because it's so easy just to sort of you know buy into that that concept of like oh, I've hit a, I've hit an obstacle and there's no way around it, um, which kind of leads me to a, another question. Um, I know you know, sort of one of the things that psychologists like to talk about is, I think it's called if this, then that planning, or it might be called something else. What, what's the, what's the sort of background or the, you know, the theory behind that? Um, if you can maybe elaborate on that or something else. Yeah, look, you were, if you're asking me to name it, I'm probably going to be sitting here Googling that for a moment. But I think this, this opportunity, again, just to kind of expand possibility, our brains love things to be quite binary it uh, our brains are quite lazy in a lot of ways and so they will look for shortcuts and so you know black and white right or wrong I'm either good at this or I'm not good at this uh, this is either the right thing for me to do or the wrong thing for me to do I should shut it down or open it up it feels so much easier for our brain to do that um, because it's more efficient because there's so many things on our plate let me just make a call uh, make a really definitive um, direction and then move on because I've got to, you know, attend to everything else that is going on. What can happen though is that that does shut down possibility and creativity. And so, you know, starting to have some tools or to frameworks to sit in a question, to expand your thinking, to be really mindful when your brain does go to those binary terms and just recognize that and go, oh, isn't that interesting? I want to say yes, but there's a maybe in the middle. There's this gray area. And so, you know, one of the frameworks that you've kind of mentioned is the, if this, then what? So this opportunity to entertain 
possibilities, entertain different pathways. Even if you go, this is the most ridiculous idea in the world. <laughs> um, but allow your brain to go there. So if I went down this path, then what skills would I need or what would I require or who, whose kind of help would I need around me? Okay, so that's that path and path B. If I went down, then what? What would I need to give up? What skills do I already have? Who might I know? What's that possibility there? And so you could do that for a hundred different pathways. Uh, and again, if you're kind of playing with that, I don't have to have a yes, no answer just yet. I'm exploring all possibilities. There can be gold that comes out of those different pathways. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, yeah, I think what you're talking about is just an example of, you know, a framework to be really mindful when our brains want to naturally just go to that binary. I need to make a decision. It's either this or this. Um, mm. Allow yourself to sit in the, the question and the possibility a little bit longer. Mm. Oh, beautifully put there. And I, and I also think this can also be applied to, let's call it more of an execution perspective around, I mean, one of the things I find when it's around innovation or reinvention or doing anything like that, we're, we're, gonna, we're bound to come across some obstacles because we're doing something new, we're doing something different, there's going to be some, some sort of you know, obstacles that we hit. And having that, if this does happen, this is what I'm going to do next can kind of help with that, keeping the momentum going. Because, you know, one of the big things I know that when we work with our clients that we're always going is like, okay, well, if you start going down and that first experiment doesn't work or that first prototype doesn't work or you discover that the insight you thought was really valuable and the customer says they don't want to pay for a solution for that, what's going to be your next step? helps to, I think, give them a little bit more of momentum, so to speak, so that, okay, um, you know, because so, so many times I meet people who've had a great invention idea and, yeah, they just hit that first obstacle and, oh, they go into paralysis and they go, I'll come back to it and they try it again and they just haven't thought through that, you know, that those possibilities of what they could do next in case of those obstacles. Yeah, and I think you made a really good point uh, that it is important to have a space to be able to articulate the roadblocks or the potential roadblocks because you're right, You um, with enthusiasm, we can go down a certain path and go, this is it, and you can have <laughs> all the passion in the world and, and you almost become the person on the soapbox that's going, this is going to be the thing that will save everything. Uh, and then you you hit a roadblock or you, you know have someone kind of look at you sideways going, that's a bit ridiculous or... Or, and again, our brain is on high alert for anything very similar to what we're doing or what we're paying attention to, which is why if you're in the market for a new car, say, you know, a Ford Ranger, you see them on the road everywhere because our brains are hardwired for that. Mm. When you do have a new invention, what can happen is all of a sudden you find the three other companies that are doing something that looks very similar. And so you can go, oh, well, they've, they've already started it. They're already doing it. It's not going to work. It's not a new idea. So I think, yeah, I think you make a really good point that it is important. Um, and I use the word navigate. So navigate those roadblocks. Actually get a pen and piece of paper or a whiteboard and throw down everything. What might get in the way? 
And it can be everything from my own personal energy. Like if I don't sleep for a week, then nothing's going to happen on this project. Mm -hmm. And let's Mm -hmm. put that down as a roadblock. Uh, We don't get the funding. Let's put that down as a roadblock. Um, I get 10 knockbacks. Put that down as a roadblock. Um, I can't source the right manufacturing piece that I need. Put that down as a roadblock. So then you just get into problem solving mode. Okay, well, if this happens, then what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make sure I'm going to really prioritize sleep across this next period because it's going to be pretty intensive and I'm going to need to be as alert as I possibly can. Wow. Um, Yeah, that that is such a good thing. The one thing I love about psychologists and behavioralists is, and I might might have this quote wrong, but I think it was um, an American speaker many years ago who was actually talking about his wife. His wife was a writer and she said to him, you can't edit what's not written down. And what I'm, you know, one of the things that you've been talking about today is quite often, whether it's the horizontal timeline map with the things that, you know, have been working or not working to this component now of, you know, actually listing and and drawing and, and writing down those roadblocks is that, it enables us to get out of the, you know, we can actually see it. And if it's not written down, we just can't edit it. I, I, I don't know. I just find that, you know, it seems to be a, you know, one of the, the main tenets, if you think about, um, uh, uh, I guess, cognitive behavior therapy is about being able to see that you're thinking a certain way and, and go about that. So, yeah, really love that kind of thinking. Yeah. I think you want to, to get it out, get it visual um and and again if you can be creative with that i mean your some of your um kind of even drawings and visual artistry is so fantastic around that but the ability to be able to get it out means you're not talking about you and it depersonalizes it in some Mm. way because then we're talking about it um and so it is that opportunity and so even going back to where we were talking about that you know standout plan at the end of the year kind of uh you know put a bow in last year and what's the intention that i want for the next year not only is it that permission to have the place to sit sit down but it's to have the permission to write down our biggest hopes to actually verbalize and it may be that no one else ever sees it but at least you've written it down somewhere this thing that i have never dared to admit that i've always wanted to do or to learn or to um, become and that might sound like some of those might be really small it might be that I want to learn the guitar but that might be a really massive thing to articulate for someone who maybe for many years has been told that they're not musical and why would you bother to actually admit that then being able to put that on a piece of paper can be the safest first place to do that Mm, mm, so true so true i want to sort of change gears a touch and still playing on this behavioral concept one i want to i want to talk a little bit more around story because i think you know whenever i have the good fortune of hanging out with you know behaviorists and psychologists like yourselves at pragmatic thinking or you know another colleague of ours um Michael Henderson, anthropologists, and whenever i whenever i hang out with you know sociologists anthropologists behavioral psychologists I, I get this sense that um, you know, there's a there's a common belief that story is one of the currencies for change, um, such a powerful one, like probably the most powerful one in terms of that we are our brains are almost wired for story, 
And um, so I'd love to hear whether you kind of agree with that. And if you do, I'm hoping you do. Um, if, if you do, how, how do you go about crafting a good story if you've got um, a team? Because that's one thing, like, like we want to reinvent something. How do you go about crafting a story or, or discovering those stories? Or alternatively, um, maybe after that, is there any way that we can use story in engaging our community, and I, I use the word community rather than marketplace, but that we can use story to engage them to, to look at using change by using your product or your service? That's a long question. <laughs> uh, no, it's a great question. I think stories really are um, a catalyst for change. And when you talk about, you know, hanging out with psychologists and behavioural scientists, and Michael Henderson is just such an amazing, uh, amazing human being as a corporate anthropologist. Um, yeah, we're a weird lot, <laughs> an exciting lot. Um, look, I do agree. We, I think human beings, as you mentioned, we're hardwired for stories. And again, our brains fill the unknown with assumptions. And so if there's parts of things that we don't know, um, then we, we create a story. Our, our brains will, will fill that. And what I mean, even from the little things, so it might be a work colleague who you see coming out of a meeting or um, in the middle of a Zoom call, as we're, we're doing at the moment, uh, kind of roll their eyes or, or wince a little bit. And we don't know why. We don't have any, you know, the the actual facts about what might be behind that, but our brains will automatically fill the assumption. We'll craft a story about, well, what does that mean? They don't mm. like what we're talking about or um, they think it's a waste of time, which is a story. There's no fact. Uh, we don't actually know. And it might be that that, that person was wincing because they're, they're back sore and they've been sitting down all morning, but we fill it with, with the assumptions. So I think stories, um, we, we naturally will go to that in the small detail as well as the big stories that we can be drawn to. In terms of, I guess, the part of the question where you're talking about how do you craft a story, um, there are certainly experts that have come before me. Uh, you talk about Joseph Campbell, who is the probably the go-to person when you talk about the arc of a story, so Joseph Campbell um, has mapped out, and I can't remember what they are, but really mapped out pretty much every great story that has ever been written or every movie um, that has been made or TV show follows. Yeah. For, so for those who don't know, he was the author of, um, I think called the, I think the hero's journey. He was a comparative religion scholar and um, apparently George Lucas went to him when he was writing Star Wars and, and got, some, you know, got some tips around uh, the whole thing around the Millennium Falcon and creating archetypes and things like Very, very clever guy who's not alive anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's really fascinating. I mean, some of it's quite deep and really, really, um, you know, in-depth around how do you craft a story. And so it's not necessarily that you need to um, kind of go into that layer, but I think it can provide a really useful framework around this, the hero's journey, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, so who is the hero and what's the mission that they are on um, and what's the challenges that they face? Uh, the, you know, the, the, the ultimate kind of 
um, and often there can be this anticlimax and then this climax, the ultimate challenge, and then they they rise, but they kind of rise, you know, a different person, a reinvented person. If I come back to, you know, even what we were talking about before, that that they are new, that they have learnt, they've evolved, they've grown because of this journey. Um, and so I think workplaces, but also brands have this opportunity to to engage their uh, their people, their community, through sharing these stories. Um, and the truth is, the stories are there, and it's sometimes just having courage, the courage to share the stories that are already within within brands or within businesses or within communities. Um, because often we don't want to share the full story because we don't want to talk about the challenges we've had to face. And yet that's the very thing that people love to hear is, mm. oh, you've been through the hero's journey. You've been through that pit that was really hard and you had to make some tough calls and you, you, you thought you were on the right track and then you weren't. And you, what did you learn? It's actually that that people get drawn to and see themselves in that's really important for us to share. Um, as human beings, we have very, very good bullshit meters. <laughs> what I mean by that is if you go, no, 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 like we got this idea for an invention and then we, we went and saw the manufacturer and they were great and we manufactured and now everyone needs it. And you're like, I know that that didn't happen that way. <laughs> I know there were 20 other versions and sleepless nights and, you know, it's not what you thought it was, was when you started, but actually maybe it's way better now because you've been through these other ones. So I guess I'd say the stories are there. Don't, uh, you know, don't wash them over trying to make them perfect, but to share the, the challenges and what we've learnt and which is, you know, part of and uh, what your messaging is around is how did we reinvent? Mm. Uh, and even through brands and um, businesses, teams, but also for individuals, you think about the, the people that you fi find are inspiring, it's because they've shared that part of the story. Mm, mm. Oh, that's very well put there. It reminds me of that, that, that kind of concept of um, coming back to this. So if you don't, when you, when you said, I think our brains fill the unknown with assumptions. And part of that is if we're not sharing our story, let's say if I'm in a team or in an organization, then our clients or our team or our customers have already got, they're making up a story, as you said, by filling up these unknowns with their own assumptions. So um, that, you know, it's kind of like, wow, sometimes you can have a team where you've got, you know, five or six different stories going on. You know, the leader's got their story about this is why we're doing what we're doing. You've got, um, you know, part of the team that's thinking, God, you know, not this reinvention crap, don't want to do that. And then there's others going, I'd love to do it. But, I'm, you know, every time I come up with ideas, I get shot down because I'm so young or I'm a junior or I'm, you know, new to the field. And then the customers have got those stories. And that's, that's the, the concept I love the most is, you know, getting people onto the same story. Because otherwise, even though you think they're working with you, they've got, you know, they've got a different motivation that's going on. They've got different values. They've got different, you know, completely different story that's going on inside. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and changes, um, yeah, as you say, changes the behaviour or changes the intention or how they turn up. 
the mm. brainstorming, but just for 20 minutes because that's all we've got. Until yeah. And then I'm onto it. But um, yeah, I think, and I lean on as so many um, psychologists do some of the work of Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown, who's mm. a researcher out of the University of uh, Houston, Texas, around vulnerability and shame. But um, yeah, she talks about, and it's something we actually have embedded in, in our culture with our team, is um, sharing the stories in our head. Uh, so, and we'll actually even use that language with each other where we might fill with an assumption and actually say, oh, I need to tell you, but the story in my head is <laughs> you're not very interested in this project. And, and what it does is it, it recognises, A, that I've made up a story. Mm. I don't actually know, but, but that's what's going through my head. Mm. Um, and B, what it does is it gives the opportunity to voice that. So it's not a truth that you're not interested in this. This is a story that I've made up. Mm. I really like that. I really like that. I'm, I, I've used the words, you know, I've got an assumption here and I might be completely wrong because assumptions are usually the mother of all stuff ups, but here goes. So that's usually how I preface it. But I do like, I think I prefer your language in there, the story in, in my head. That's, oh, that is such a good thing. Um, what, what I'd love to do is, is move into a little bit around um, what I call reconnecting with our customers or our, our communities and try and understand uh, this concept of insights. Now, um, insights is a word that's commonly used, but not, you know, always understood. But I kind of simply say that an insight is a customer need, a desire, a frustration, or an aversion, or maybe something that's emerging in terms of a trend that no one's really been able to capitalize on that you could then subsequently create ideas or create a product or a service for you. Um, what's your take on how you can go about you know, discovering these insights? Is it, is it by asking questions? Is it by observing? Is it by listening or a combination of these or is it something completely different what what kind of goes through your mind i think it's a yeah it's a great it's a really good question and it's a really good question to keep reality testing because of those assumptions right you go oh no i know exactly what our customers are feeling or fearing or uncertain about or really certain about um but again that might be based on a story or and it might be that it was true 12 months ago but it might be slightly different now um, or it was two six months ago, uh, but it's different now. So um, I think, I mean, the more, and again, in psychology, the more places you can get information, the better. So rather than just relying on maybe one source, then uh, going, going down a few different ways. The first one that came to mind when you said it was, um, was as simple as just ask. <laughs> Um, so what do you need? What frustrates you? Why do you, you know, why do you, why do you do this? So allowing and taking the time to, um, have a coffee and that might be have a coffee on zoom, or it might be, you know, a FaceTime walk and talk kind of catch up that opportunity just to go, um, what's on your plate at the moment? What's, you know, frustrating you? What's, what's working well? What do you like about this? So, so simply asking, um, I think, I mean, traditionally you can go down the pathway, obviously, of surveys. Surveys can work really well to get aggregate data uh, to kind of understand a collective kind of community and what might be some of the trends. But 
but what it doesn't tell you is the stories sometimes when you're when you're going for a survey so again i think that can work really really well um if it's a piece of the the bigger puzzle mm. um but i you know again it probably comes back to that that tendency of stories is that you know it is those individual stories that can be really powerful the ones that you hear and you go wow I hadn't realised how much that this product or this service or what we provide, you know, what it meant for you. Um, and the thing that I thought you liked about it, uh, you do like, but it's something else that you that you love that we had never really prioritised. Um, so I think, you know, getting, getting, um, getting those stories from, and it might be direct from customers. It might be what are some of the behaviours that have changed. Um, like I said, it might be from um, surveys as well. There's a huge amount just from a technology point of view, um, looking at you know, SEO or Google. What are people searching? What are those kind of search terms that people are putting in if it's around this particular product or this particular area of business that we are in? If I was a customer, what would I want to know? Um, and it was only, I think it's only been this week, actually, I've been looking at it. So this is why it's front of mind. But, you know, in, in some of that, it's um, it was a book I was reading around kind of marketing, but they were looking at the big five. So, you know, what are the problems? Uh, how much does it cost? What does it compare to? So this compared to something else. Um, what are other people saying about it? So we are in a market at the moment where reviews or other people's testimonials are really, really important. So people like me use this, you know, do mm. things like this, um, that kind of Seth Godin type mentality. Um, so who else is using it? And, you know, the world of influencers and those kind of platforms can be your other, other way to listen to some of those social, social trends. Mm. Um, and then the last one is about best in class. So who's the best? at doing this, where in the world and what are they, what are they doing? So I don't know if that's a long-winded answer to your question. No, no, I love it. I love it. I mean, one of the things that we, we sort of try and work with our clients a lot is by all means going out and, and obviously having conversations with clients, but also where we can trying to watch. Cause one of the things we found is sometimes if you ask someone, um, you know, what they need or, would you use a product that does X, Y, and Z? People are very good at, uh, I guess, um, very, they're not very good at predicting what they actually will do, they, but they're very good at saying or showing what they think about something if it's already built. Yeah. Um, so what we're always trying to do is go, by all means, try and identify the potential area around a problem. And then let's see if we can validate this problem by, by looking if we create a mock-up solution and seeing how they respond to it, because then we can go, aha, the actions are speaking better than their intentions in a conversation, if that makes sense. So rather than going out and building, you know, a $10 million prototype of a, of a project because they've sort of said, you know, this is what we want is we'll actually build a, you know, a hundred dollar landing page and then get people to go to it and see how they react to it. Cause that gives you a much more, accurate um i guess you know experience as to what's going on and then you can ask them why did they react that way or why did you look at that or why did you press the buy now button what was going through your mind um 
yes, and things like that. What I would, what I'd love to do, just because now we've got just a little bit more time, I just wanted to kind of go through two more different uh, areas, and one is around um, ideation, that is the generation of ideas, and then I wanted to sort of finish up around this concept of of creating a community, and you know, what do you think are some of the catalysts for community? Because if we want to relaunch a reinvention to the world we want to sort of have our community around it. Um, so the first question, and I know you guys have got a plethora of ideas and you're very good at generating ideas. When you um, are, are working around generating ideas, do you start with, obviously you've probably already identified, here's a problem. Do you use any process or do you have any rules in place like, you know, write down for yourself before you share with the group or, you know, um, you're not allowed to interrupt people or do you encourage piggybacking? I'm kind of curious what process you guys might use at Pragmatic Thinking. Yeah, uh, again, great question. And and uh, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Um, coming up with ideas is not a problem for us at all. <laughs> across the board, across the team, uh, we have an amazing team who, you know, are constantly going, oh, we could do this and check this out. And I've been thinking about this. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really cool and really exciting to be around. And uh, there will be kind of certain needs at different times. Um, one of the things, and this is probably more recently for us, um, thinking about it more from a, a more general philosophical perspective before I get into some of the kind of behavioural tactics, um, is actually coming back to what's the principle of what we're trying to do. Um, so, and I find that that really helps to, um, and you don't want to curtail kind of ideas um, but it can be useful to have an anchor about what's the, you know, the core principles or strategy or where does this fit in to uh, what we're trying to do. Now, some of that is my natural personality and tendency, like I need to understand context uh, before ideation in order to get the most out of ideation. Um, so where does this fit in? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this now? Um, what kinds of things will we be looking at? Um, so, you know, some of those kind of principles might be um, just being aware of, mindful of some of the, and it could be really tangible restrictions around, you know, this piece of work or this project that we're working on, we've only got three months on it. So that's our kind of really tangible time frame. So we're, you know, from a principal point of view, that's what we're doing. Or this is the budget that we're working on. Or, um, you know, we, we've got only um, a number of people who will be on this project. So, and the core principle is that we need to achieve um, or, you know, we need to be delivering at, at certain levels. So, so just understanding the parameters um, can be a useful starting point. In terms of some of the, the behavioural um, tactics or ideas, we, our office is absolutely surrounded by whiteboards. There's, there, I don't think there is a wall anywhere that doesn't have a whiteboard on it or isn't painted in whiteboard. Is there one in the bathroom? Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the one place you can get away with it. Um, oh, well. so that, that, sorry, that, that reminds me, I think it was um, one of my clients in the past, Nokia did this uh, when they were back in their heyday. They, they used to put a question 
um, that would that was a pressing question that they needed ideas. They would put it at the back of the toilet doors, and it especially seemed to work well for males because I don't know why when male sits down, it takes a lot longer. But um, so they'd go, you know, we've got we're struggling with this challenge at the moment, and they would have that at the back of the toilet doors so that people would really think that. It's <laughs> a really good idea. I like it. Um, Brain dump, different idea for a brain dump, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it probably attests to that, um, <laughs> the theory behind of it. But, you know, sometimes our best ideas come when we unplug. Right? Mm. So, mm. You know, we get the best ideas in the shower. We get the best ideas when we've been out, out for a run um, or a walk somewhere. Mm. So, um, yeah, certainly that's something that we weave in with our team is to allow space to do that. Uh, I do remember, and I can't, it might have been about a year ago, Simon Sinek put something up around, you know, having different meetings at different times of the day for different purposes. And so one of the meetings is around, you know, idea generation or creation, having that towards the end of the day, uh, but not having a conclusion on it. And what I mean by that is um, it's almost kind of posing, hey, this is, this is the problem. We want to come up with some ideas and you might, you know, write down some ideas or, um, and so, like I said, for us, a big part of that is whiteboards is just kind of throwing something up. Um, if we can think about a, a framework or a pattern or a model that often kind of helps, um, frame up where the ideas mm. might fit in, but then allowing people to go home, um, have their evening and then come back in and sort of finalize the meeting the next morning. Mm. And the intention behind that is really that opportunity to unplug, to see what's marinated overnight, uh, to see what else might have bubbled up. Uh, so allowing the space for those, yeah, just I guess in some ways the synapses in our brain to, to fire and connect um, and see what else comes together from that. Um, mm. Mm. So that's, you know, only a kind of practical point of view. Our, in our business, in our culture, we, we're very big at prototyping. So I think that's the other part of that kind of idea creation is actually going, right, that, that idea is, is pretty good. Let's prototype it. Let's test it. Let's actually start to see it come to play. And some of that is actually working very closely and very collaboratively with clients around kind of that prototyping. And, and it can be everything from say the name of an initiative that we might be rolling out inside an organisation where we'll come up with a few options. And the reason why you want to prototype it is that it's possible that that client has used that name for a different initiative five years ago and it was horrendous and we're never going back the, to the yeah. project Athena ever or a project, um, you know, uh, Europe ever again because it yeah. was awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that is perfect. Um, so I, I'm just mindful of time. So I want to finish up with just one question. And yeah, so imagine you've got a reinvention. Uh, it might be a new product or a, a new service or something like that you've been working on for quite a while. And uh, you want to relaunch it out there to the world. What what would be some sort of basic tips that you might have around from a behavioral perspective around, you know, building a community or uh, I guess opening the minds of a community to be, to be, you know, open to this new idea or a new way of doing something. Um, again, there's a few things that come to mind. Probably the number one is 
the the power of picking curiosity is really important. Often when we have something exciting, something that we want to launch, um, we'll want to tell everyone about, you know, everything about it. And yet there is power in, you know, behaviourally getting people's attention just through curiosity, uh, through posing a question. You know, what if, what if there was a better way of doing this? What if you had a tool that would help you with this problem? You know, wonder what that would be like, um, which is, you know, it kind of goes down that path of guerrilla marketing, but really comes back from that, you know, a sense of people get curious and they, they start to ask questions and lean in a little bit more. Um, so that's probably number one is rather than kind of telling everyone everything and all about it is just um, sitting in, you know, starting with that sense of curiosity, getting people really curious um, maybe intrigued, getting them going, I want to know more. What's going on here? Things seem to might be changed. And then you've kind of got people's attention. Um, and I think second to that is to recognise and remember that, um, again, and it probably comes back to that hero's journey, that storytelling, people love cheering on a success story. Uh, and whilst when I say success, it can be just that, you know, we didn't know whether it was going to work. We tried something, we went through some tough stuff and then we've come out and here it is. And people love, you know, being part of that and sharing that and, um, you know, finding ways to kind of celebrate that because what it does is that it almost gives us permission or gives them permission to go, well, maybe I could do the same. Maybe I could reinvent. Maybe there is new ways. Maybe things don't have to be the same as well. So I think allow people to see themselves in the story and in the journey is another really, really powerful way to, to build community. Mm, wow, that's awesome. Um, oh, there's so many more questions I could ask, <laughs> but um, I, I'm really grateful for your time, Ali. So how can people find out a little bit more about you? Because I know one of the things that you've spoken about, uh, you spoke about Standout, the book, you've spoken about talking about the tough stuff, the book, you've spoken about your um, annual kind of annual planner, um, and then you guys have obviously got programs galore. And I know right now that you've gone through and created the PTV. Um, so you guys are doing awesome virtual training at the moment to help organizations. Um, yeah. What, what is it to go to pragmaticthinking.com? What, what, what would you suggest? Yeah. Thanks, Niels. Yeah. That's probably the easiest way is um, pragmaticthinking.com. So yeah, we have, we, when you talk about reinvention, we've, um, We've developed a, a TV quality uh, studio where we're running out um, virtual learning and, and it's just, it's actually amazing seeing the level of engagement and, uh, and connection that's kind of happening on, on that platform and, and seeing teams from, you know, all around Australia as well as internationally that can get together and have a shared experience in a way that actually was always really hard to do face-to-face. -face. So yeah, pragmaticthinking.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as me individually on LinkedIn. Um, and probably the only other play area I have at the moment is um, my own podcast. So Standout Life uh, podcast, which I've just ticked over my hundredth episode, which I'm really, really excited. Wow. About. That's right. I, I, I don't think I'm allowed on that one. I think you, you, do you tend to sort of work with ladies only or? I don't know. No, I no, okay. a few good men. So I, I might, oh, okay. be, uh, might be I'm a... on your door very soon, Neil. <laughs> 
I might not stand out enough. That's all right. <laughs> Take that question back. Just, just ignore it. Didn't happen. It didn't happen there. Um, yeah. So thank you so much uh, for your great expertise. There's just so many, you know, nuggets of gold have taken away. Um, so for example, our brain, our brains fill the unknown with assumptions. Uh, you know, when you're talking about having behavioral tactics around, you know, what are the principles that we're going to use? Um, why are we doing this when we're generating ideas? Why now? Creating constraints. And you spoke about talking about doing idea generation sort of at the end of the day so that you've got time for those ideas to percolate and we can allow our alpha brainwave states to change the different brainwave states to come up with different things there. You spoke about how we can discover more about our customers by just asking them, um, you know, asking questions and, and surveying them. Uh, then you spoke about, you know, that's some of those core concepts around, you know, what a story is and the hero's journey. Wow, I feel like I've got an incredible amount of value there. So thank you so much. And um, I'll make all of these sort of notes available in the show notes and links to Alison's website and uh, everything else that we've spoken. So thanks for listening, guys. And thank you very much, Ali. Thanks, Niels. I've loved it. So that's it from this episode. But be sure to subscribe for more strategies on how to turn ideas into income. And please rate and review us so that we can deliver the goods next time.